You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. And if you are remotely interested in B2B influencer marketing, then you are going to find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. Tim Williams is the CEO of Onalytica, an award-winning influencer marketing software platform that connects brands like IBM, Microsoft, and SAP with topical influencer communities. There are only a handful of people in the world more knowledgeable about this current state of B2B influencer marketing than Tim. And we talk about everything from what B2B influencer marketing is, which companies are doing it and why they're doing it. How much should you pay influencers? What can you get them to do for your business? We talk about where business influence sits in the marketing org and how it impacts both top and bottom of the funnel brand metrics. If you're remotely interested in anything to do with business influence, then this is the podcast for you. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Tim Williams. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. My extra special guest this week is Tim Williams, the CEO of Onalytica, an influencer marketing company helping brands run influencer programs that increase brand awareness, improve reputation, and drive lead generation. Clients include Microsoft, Infosys, Cisco, IBM, Accenture, Capgemini, just go down the list of some of the biggest brands in the world. Tim Williams, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Super excited to, to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this for some time because I absolutely want to ask you a ton of questions about influencer marketing. It's an area that I've been researching and trying to understand further myself, and I'm sure that our audience is, is the same. I thought we could start with a working definition of what B2B influencer marketing is. Yeah, I think it's right to start with that question because people's reference is influence marketing on the B2C side. So they're thinking of TikTok or Instagrammers with millions of followers. And obviously in B2B, uh, it is different to that. So the working definition that we feel is most helpful to brands is to leverage internal and external content creators who influence a decision or a change in behavior in your target audience. And just allowing to expand upon that a little, this means that we're not talking about politicians, managing politicians. We're not talking about journalists, not talking about traditional analysts, because there's already external affairs, your analyst relations teams and media relations teams managing those people. So when we're talking about influences, we're talking about your internal execs, your subject matter experts, who people describe as thought leaders, but also the external influences who are not currently being managed. So that's really a, a working definition which tends to help brands. A lot of brands talk about influencers as non-traditional influencers, as a, almost like an internal working title. And they just do that as a bit of a stopgap because they're trying to find the definition. So it seems like a, just a really simple question. 
but it is one of the key questions to enable people to actually understand who is an influencer and why they would be beneficial to work with. And so what makes someone an influencer? Because as soon as you say influencer, I think people's minds automatically think to those TikTok influencers with millions of Instagram followers or, or, or TikTok followers or, or what have you. But what is the criteria for someone being a B2B influencer? Is it a certain number of followers on LinkedIn? Is it a certain number of followers on, on Twitter? What qualifies someone to be a B2B influencer? We have thought about this for 10 plus years. And the answer is challenging because, of course, everyone's an influencer, but you each have a sphere of influence. Influences in B2B are not necessarily advertising products or saying, buy this product right now, because B2C might be an impulse purchase, whereas B2B might be a much longer consideration cycle. So to start unpacking this, there are many different personas of B2B influences. You can be an event speaker, and people have hired event speakers for uh, many decades uh, to be able to speak to a room full of prospects or customers or just industry uh, delegates. They can now, you know, we obviously have more content creators like YouTubers and podcasters, um, such as such as you, Nathan, um, that didn't exist like six to 10 years ago. Um, so there are obviously a new wave of you know, content creators. Then there's obviously LinkedIn and for people who drive serious engagement on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then of course, there's offline influence and your kind of networks and your associations. So we have algorithms that you know, focus on different you know, types of metrics. So reach very commonly is, is your audience size or your, you know, how many people you can potentially reach, whether it's offline or online. Then there's engagement, which is an absolutely key metric. So it doesn't matter whether you have a million followers, how much engagement are you getting? Because one influencer might drive 5,000 engagements and have you know, a quarter of the audience size as another influencer. Right. The other one is relevant. So how much content are you creating which is relevant to the actual you know, brand program or campaign? If you're talking about artificial intelligence, you know, do you talk about it you know, once in a blue moon or are you talking about it every single week? And then the, the fourth element, uh, which we call reference, is much more of a topical authority metric. Are you being cited, as in, you know, it's used in academic terms, are you being cited and referenced by the people who really matter? A bit like Google would you know, use citations in their analysis of your, of your domain authority. Sure. So there's a number of different algorithms. There's a number of different types of influences, and it depends according to what the objectives are of the brand and, of course, um, you know, what the kind of overall relationship is between the brand and the, and the influencer. So let's talk about what the overall objectives are of the brand. What are B2B influencers helping brands to do? Are they helping them to increase their awareness and build brand at the top of the funnel? Are they helping them get access or penetrate a certain number of key accounts or named accounts? at the bottom of the funnel, where does influencer marketing sit? Does it sit more at the top or the bottom of the funnel? And what are the main objectives that brands are engaging influencers to help them achieve? Outside, yeah, obviously some people talk about influencers being able to drive a lot of different metrics across the board, and that's true. But uh, to be more helpful, influencers help brands 
reach new audiences. That's one of the qualitative aspects that is so attractive about them. If you think about it, traditional broadcast techniques are being less and less trusted. And you know, the, the millennial generation are you're making you know making key decisions when it comes to, to B2B purchases. So the new generations, it's only going to go up as a percentage of them as key decision makers. They are not being influenced as much by the traditional broadcast technique. So you obviously need to leverage people who they engage and trust. The other benefit is agile content creation. A lot of brands find it difficult to create content quickly, um, which is inspiring. And a lot of B2B brands are producing relatively boring content. They're amazing companies, but you know, their content is pretty product-focused and sometimes quite dry. So to have an army of agile content creators who are telling your story in an inspiring way to new audiences is a very, very big benefit. In terms of is it awareness, is it lead gen, most organizations will probably leverage influences for an awareness and consideration. But you can invite influencers onto a podcast, onto a webinar, or uh, integrate them into a white paper, and uh, they can help promote and drive more leads than if you didn't integrate them. So the truth is that they can be leveraged at any stage of the customer journey, but most brands are using them, I think, for the you know, social buzz, social awareness, and engagement. Having said that, once you've created the inspiring content from the influencers, you can repurpose a lot of the content for your demand generation or for your leads. So I think that the clever marketer uses the influencer content as evergreen assets to drive different parts of the funnel. But in terms of influencers just posting about an event or a thought leadership topic and to drive engagement and awareness, I think that that is more top of the funnel activity. Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency. We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business, and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. What is the influencer getting out of this relationship does the influencer expect to get paid if so how much do they expect to get paid do they tend to do this for free in what circumstances would they do it for free i know that you work with the guys over at convince and convert and you've done a little bit of of work in this area it'd be nice for you to kind of unpack what influencers expect to get out of the relationship exactly and the question about payment or organic value, and it's probably the most sensitive area over the past few years. And it's why we commissioned a, a, a report with Convince and Convert to look at the compensation you know, in North America, in Europe, to try and you know, really understand what the current situation is and how the market's evolving. So how to answer a really, really sensitive question in, uh, in a minute or two. There are influencers who are independent, who are influencers as their own business, and they would expect to be paid, and they've got enough requests coming in where they can demand payment. The ranges of payments tend to be from five to $20,000, depending upon what the ask is. 
the influencers all want retainers. The brands want, you know, ad hoc basis. But there is better value if you can get some good retainers and work out a deal with the premium influencers whose time is what you're paying for and the content creation, but you're not paying for their opinion. There's then tens of thousands of industry experts who don't consider themselves to be quote unquote influencers, where if you drive value for them, then they will be part of your content creation journey. So this could be creating a community around a specific topic, integrating them into research, uh, allowing them to network with some seriously cool people and you know, they will turn up to your events. They will create some content on the side. If you keep on managing them as a community and always think about what's in it for the, for the influencer, what's in it for the industry expert. So we always advise brands to have a few premium influencers to pay, but also to leverage community and to drive organic engagement. If I give you one example, if you're IBM, for example, and you say to a, uh, a premium influencer, we'd like you to create a video for our event, could you do that? They will say, okay, it costs X amount. If one of their top execs uh, wants to create some content with the influencer just on LinkedIn and reaches out peer-to-peer, that's not a paid exercise. They would do it if they found it attractive and if it was relatively easy to do. So... It depends who's asking, it depends what the ask involves, and it depends whether the influencer is paid by an enterprise or publication already, or whether they're doing it for a living. The space is evolving rapidly, and uh, the answer is influencers might write an article for you for $800 or $1,500 versus speaking at an event from between five to $20,000, and it just depends. So we produced that report to give benchmarks, but the space has been described as the Wild West, and it is <laughs> evolving and will probably take two or three years to really settle down. I imagine it's a bit more settled down in terms of YouTube or podcasting, and you would probably be able to speak to podcasting better than I would, but there's going to be different channels and different categories where there's, there's kind of like an assumed rate for a certain value. But then again, if you're the influencer that everyone wants to work with, you can start naming your price if the value is there. You said that the space has been rapidly evolving and and I'd agree with that. And in the last sort of two, three years, I've definitely seen a lot more articles about B2B influencer marketing. You, you've, you've definitely heard a lot more brands talking about uh, devoting budget to influencer marketing and, and, and running influencer campaigns. What are the factors that you think have, a, have led to the emergence or the growth, especially in recent years of influencer marketing, because as you say, this has been around for quite some time. People have been working with influential journalists and analysts for many, many years. It, it, it's, it's not new, but this kind of new lens of B2B influencer has definitely taken off in, in recent times. I wonder what you think the contributing factors have been that have led us to where we are today. Yeah, I think there's a couple of factors. I think the proliferation of social media channels is a is a big, big factor. Anyone can be a content creator. So a lot of the people I know who are considered thought leaders for enterprise brands are thinking, well, you know, should I become a content creator? And and you you can get some serious money uh, as an influencer for the people that really make it. So there's the opportunity that wasn't there before on channels like LinkedIn as a prime example. There's also the lack of credibility and trust that brands have. And 
if you look at the Edelman Trust barometers, you'll see the government, you know, journalists, like CEOs, um, you know, lots of people are far less trusted than they were before. But the people that are trusted are the people who are who are like yourself, your peers. So I think that that credibility and trust economy has massively evolved. And the other part, uh, which I feel, uh, I know a lot of people feel, but you know, not everyone is that advertising is arguably you know, less effective than it was. And I certainly don't read adverts and a lot of people just, you know, um, skim past them. So I think there's a number of factors. And obviously, we can't forget the pandemic that massively accelerated the digital buying cycle. So I think it's been a perfect storm. And I think in the past two or three years, you've just seen people invest in this area that haven't before. And there's just been a natural maturity of the uh, of the category. You look at someone like Rory Sutherland, for instance, for Ogilvy, um, massive influencer. Um, he's kind of he's almost sort of transcended marketing and 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 business um, currently to the point where I'm sure Ogilvy love trotting you know trotting him out at different e- events. Uh, I'm not sure actually actually how much real client work he does these days, as opposed to kind of writing books and putting out content, you know, speaking at, at events. I'm sure there are a ton of internal employees in large businesses, say Cisco or IBM, that have a ton of employees that are super influential, create great content. How do those brands seek out those individuals within their organizations to create content and, and campaigns that can really help drive a, a particular business outcome that they're looking for? I think that is the magic of influence marketing. When you bring your exec and subject matter expert thought leadership and content play, you're with influence marketing. So obviously there are internal tools, external tools that they can use to identify who are their top execs and subject matter experts on particular topics. Importantly, we believe that B2B influence marketing is a thought leadership play you're not promoting products, you're promoting the topics that people are interested in. So the customer problems, the challenges, the innovation. And so the people that you have internally or the people that you recruit into your business, because of course, you can recruit thought leaders from competitors or in the industry to be part of your journey. Once you have identified those people, it's about speaking to them, it's about enabling their content creation. So when you're a marketer, it's not I think it's less about how are marketing going to produce content and how are marketing going to facilitate the community of internal and external influencers to be the content creators. Because we're talking about the personalization of content. I don't mean the personalization journey when you're buying. I mean that instead of white papers, instead of this traditional brand message, it's enabling storytellers, your internal and external storytellers, to be creating content and to reach new audiences. And it's much more authentic and trusted than the brand. So what can brands do? I think it's about recognizing that it's not about what massive um, hero content you can produce. You can obviously produce the big research uh, report, webinar. You, You can produce white papers and all of that kind of stuff. But it's more about how do you transform this into storytelling, you know, individual storytelling internally, externally. And I think that's the magic that B2B influencer marketing 
um, should generate. So you mentioned it's a, a thought leadership play and it's not about a particular influencer saying, hey, buy IBM's cloud infrastructure because this is the best cloud infrastructure on the market. Although thinking about that, is it about that as well? I'm sure certain brands would love the key authority on cloud infrastructure to come out and, and say, buy our cloud infrastructure. It's the best. Does that lose a certain amount of credibility? Is that the best thing for those influencers to do? Presumably they've got their own brand and reputation to kind of think of. Um, it's less about that, I would imagine, and more about the association with the particular individual. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a fascinating question because obviously if an influencer has a preference, they can talk about it. But I think what the consumer, because even if it's B2B, we're always B2B to C, right? So everyone's an individual at the end of the day. We don't want to see B2B influencers promoting products just because they are paid more by that brand than another one. So I think it's really important to protect the credibility. Um, sure, there's lots of B2B influencers that might unbox products and might say, I really love this feature about it. But they might like features on competitive products as well. Also, the influencers want to be these independent analysts that work with a lot of brands in the space. And one thing that I see with a lot of brands is uh, saying, actually, I don't want to work with that influencer because they work with a competitor. Right. And I see that as a massive missed opportunity because if you're influential, you would expect to be uh, contacted by different brands and you will have opinions in the industry which are valued by your audience. It's about the influencer making sure that they're credible as well as the uh, brand as well. So I think it just comes down to common sense. It's a bit like if you see a B2C influencer promoting a product and making a lot of mistakes and doing a copy and paste job. You know, it's it's that kind of um, post which B2B is, you know, is, you doesn't want to get caught in the same trap as some of the mistakes that B2C influence marketing are making. So yeah, I think when you build advocates and influencers, they can promote your product and say, look, I think, I genuinely think that they've got an amazing product coming out. Um, but they've got to make sure that they um, either admit whether they're being paid and say, look, you know, just for clarity, I'm being paid by them as an influencer. And I think their product is great. I think that automatically takes a bit of credibility off it. Um, but where I see this working well is when there are independent analysts who see it as their job to report on earnings, on forecasts, on like really cool launches. What can B2B learn from B2C influencer marketing? Influencer marketing in, in, in the consumer space has been around for a very long time. Um, ton of great agencies and and brands doing really, really well there, actually, especially on, on TikTok at the moment, which seems to be just crushing it right now. Talk a little bit about what B2B can learn. I'm sure there must be some learnings um, that we can apply to the way that we think about B2B, even though we've got very long sales cycles, high average order values, multiple decision makers involved in the buying um, decision. It's not just, uh, you know, a, an impulse buy, buying kind of uh, cloud infrastructure. What are the key principles you think we can learn from what B2C influencer marketing has been doing? I think the main thing is how to inject emotion and sentiment into your brand through influencers. B2C in the creator economy is larger than the B2B. When we've done our analysis, we, we've got about 
you know, 150,000 execs and subject matter experts, you know, in the tech industry alone. And we're looking at the B2B influencers that are working with lots of brands. And we can see a thousand who are regularly working with brands you know, in the industry. So that just gives you a sense of uh, that it is smaller than B2C, you know, because in B2C, you might have content creators creating pictures of a surfboard and brands you know, buying buying that off them for five hundred dollars or something like that. Whereas in B two B, it's uh, you know there are fewer people, so the creator economy is is less, and that will increase over time. So actually, the culture of brands leveraging content from content creators is something that we can learn from B two C, and will naturally evolve, I think. But the key thing is how to inject emotion and sentiment, and a lot of B two B content is relatively dry like i mentioned before so i think being able to give influencers the space and the creative freedom to interpret your content in the way that they think their audience will appreciate the most and to give them more control and you will gain more trust that is one of the areas that b2b brands i think need to need to learn from b2c there's been a huge amount of research put out by, you know, the B2B Institute and, and LinkedIn recently about the role emotion plays in B2B decision-making. It's a much more emotional decision to spend $500,000 on on-premise software because it's your job, it's your reputation, it's what people think of me if it goes wrong. It's the reason why people have, have bought IBM for so long and they um, have dined out on that, on that slogan that we, all, that we all know so well. Talk about the role that emotion and what you said earlier, sentiment plays in deciding to work with certain types of influencers. How are brands being clever about how they use the emotion, you know, and, and the ideas that we think about when we think of someone like Rory Sutherland and trying to use that and weave that into their own brand messaging? I think it's really difficult. Oracle did it really well by Working with Brian Fanzo, he's called uh, Fanzo to all the kind of social media marketing folk. He took over their Instagram accounts and their social media accounts during a particular event. And instantly, he was given the freedom to communicate what was happening at the event in his own style. And that meant because he's a millennial, he speaks to the millennial audience, then you know, he took what was interesting and he, and he, he obviously put his own you know, stamp on it. Now, of course, from a brand's point of view, you need to check that the the values and the profile of the influencer matches the brand that you want to be. But I think here's sometimes where the disconnect is, because there have been a ton of brands that I've worked with that feel uncomfortable with working with influencers who may be great for their brand, but might not be in the traditional style that their senior management feel comfortable with. So I think, I think B2B are on a journey you know, I don't like using the word journey, but it, you know, it, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but the more content creators are driving some serious engagement, the more that brands will have to change. And, you know, I think that's a good thing because the change is being forced and, you know, uh, and the sooner the engagement really drops off on boring B2B content and people seeing that they're not driving the leads or the awareness that they need to drive, then they have to change tack. And sometimes I think it's, it takes moments like that for the industry to change. So brands can look at the types of personalities 
And if you're looking at heavily regulated industries like finance or pharmaceutical, you don't have to create live content. You can create recorded content and you can control the the way content is released rather than you know leveraging an influencer that you might not have worked with before and putting them live on stage in front of your customers and and you know knowing that they look good but just you have no idea what they're gonna what, so, what's gonna so come I out think, of their mouth yeah exactly and i spoke about this on um uh the other day in terms of how finance can work with influencers because it's a it, it's a slower industry um to leverage influencers but they're just wonderful opportunities uh to be able to create more sentiment um and i think it's not about completely changing i think it's about doing some more personalized content seeing how much more engagement it's driven then reporting it back internally as a business case and to say look we leveraged an influencer it performed 20 percent better than our branded content should we put a bit more investment into this and you know the more traditional brands are going to take longer to be persuaded Coming back to investment, that's a that's an interesting topic. How how are brands allocating budget towards influencer marketing, and how have you seen those budgets evolving over the last thirteen years that you've been CEO of Analytica? It's such a difficult question. I've seen that people put influence marketing down as influence marketing software or influencer marketing, you know, payments if they're in influencer marketing roles, because that's what they're expected to do. If you're in an event role, you would put it down as an event speaker program or something like that. If you're in a content marketing role, you might put it down as uh, a piece of research or thought leadership program. So I think at the moment, people are getting budget, but calling it different things. Mm depending upon whether you're in digital PR and comms, influence marketing, marketing director, VP of marketing across EMEA, if possible, when you struggle with budget, um, run a pilot and then prove the business case and then ask for programmatic investment. Because a lot of people internally don't quite know what influencer marketing is. So I think budget is masked and... uh, basically um, hidden in different budget lines until it becomes a very proven tactic internally where it's got its own category. And then in terms of how much budget, because I like to try and be helpful here, when you're looking at enterprise tech brands, I think a lot of brands start off with thirty dollars to $50,000 per year as an initial exploratory budget. And then depending upon results, you know, they obviously scale up or down. It's hard to give an exact amount. When you are spending money on influence marketing, I think 10 to 15% of that budget should be on paid influence activity, especially if you're less well-known as a brand and you want to make a splash immediately. But the space is evolving quite rapidly. So we're continually doing research on an annual basis to see how much people are spending, what people are calling it, how people are describing influences. And that's part of the interesting space it's just evolving there's a lot of evangelism uh we're trying to work with loads of partners and customers and prospects and industry experts and agencies to be able to help move the industry forward and people are evolving their definitions as the years go by 
Tell us a little bit about Onletica. What problems are you solving for your customers? Tell us a little bit about the platform because we haven't had a chance to do that yet. Yeah, I mean, really, our mission is to help brands create inspiring content through employees and external influences. It's that simple. We try and keep very true to the mission. I think the industry is wanting to change. The brands, the influencers, the industry experts, they're looking for technology to make B2B influence marketing easier. It's not that it's massively hard. It's just that when you reach out to influencer, you don't know what they want. You don't know how much they might charge or whether you can access them organically. There's a lot of things you don't know about the individual because you're working with a different type of person. They're not just you know a journalist that you can treat relatively similar in different publications. There's a set way of going about it. So I think we see Analytica's role as helping evolve the category with partners and you know just globally with all the wonderful people that are in it. And yeah, we we have a database of over a million influencers curated. We help people discover influencers look at insights on their brand and influencers, help them activate, manage influencers at scale, measure programs. So that's the kind of stuff we do. Um, But I think what really gets us all out of bed is to move the industry forward and create inspiring content where before there was the more traditional, your brand content that, that is performing less and less well. So that's our ultimate aim. And aside from that, the personal passion of ours is to promote women in tech. So we love doing a lot of work uh, developing, you know, women, um, shining the spotlight on women, you know, through different influence communities, working with wonderful organizations like, like Tech She Can, for example, to educate, uh, you know, girls and boys in schools that technology is a, is a really good industry uh, to work in. So there's lots of passions that we have and, you know, we're just a small, small cog in the overall industry. If, if, if a listener wants to learn more about B2B influencer marketing, where should they, what should they read? What should they watch? What should they listen to? Um, can you direct them to some resources to keep learning? Yeah, sure. Uh, marketing Profs and Hanley's organization is a, is a great uh, organization to learn from. Uh, so visit their website. There's the Content Marketing Institute. There's what Social Media Marketing World will talk about influence marketing although there'll be a heavy B2C element to that. Um, there aren't many organizations who are really driving B2B uh, influence marketing. Of course, that's what we do. So please visit our website. We've got lots of educational resources which are ungated. So obviously feel free to look there. And any research we do is re- literally getting all the opinions and and um, points of view from the industry influencers. So we we do our own influence marketing. So our content is not Analytica's view. It's it's the aggregated view of the industry. So I, I think, you know, follow, follow key people who are talking about this on LinkedIn. There's people like uh, Michael Brito um, from Xeno Group. There's um, there's Leoden, for example. There's Jay Bear from Convincing Vert, although he's he's recently just left and um, that creates a lot of content on this and keep on listening to the voices that are really talking about this day in day out really fascinating i'm going to jump to my favorite question and my last question that we ask all of our guests on on the show and the question is what do you know about the world of influencer marketing today that you wish you knew when you first started your career or actually 13 years ago when you became ceo of onlitica i underestimated the amount of education 
that's needed in the industry. I always fall into the trap of thinking that people are on the same sort of knowledge curve as me once I go through that knowledge curve. And there's a lot of people who are way ahead of me and uh, an amazing brain to tap into. But I'm, I underestimated the questions like, what is an influencer that I thought I thought had been answered years back and there was content produced. and But then you rightly ask that question because it's still one of the top questions there. So I, I underestimated the, the education. And I think I would have invested more time into creating an education journey on our website, which made my life a lot easier rather than, you know, explain the same things like a hundred times. So I think that would have saved probably a few gray hairs and, you know, a few, a few thousand hours. Absolutely love it. Tim, thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure. It's been really enjoyable. So thank you. We have been speaking with Tim Williams. He is currently the CEO of Analytica. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 160 such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Please follow us on LinkedIn, head over to agencydealmasters.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczak is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. You are listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency.